Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. As always, we'll be right back with our guest. But before we do it, don't hit that fast forward button. I'm watching you. We want to give our sponsors a shout out. Now, these are all companies that I used as an athletic director. They are all great companies. You're going to love them, too. So listen to our shout outs. And then when the podcast is over, visit these companies. You're going to be glad you did. Here we go. We want to say thanks to our good friends at Gipper, the official social media graphic solution for the podcast. Go to Gipper.com. They're going to show you how to create world-class sports graphics to help you celebrate your athletes and promote your teams. Gipper is used and trusted by over 3,000 athletic programs across the country. It's professional graphic design made simple. Go to Gipper.com to get started. We want to thank Huddle. Go to huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As a football coach, I used huddle for years, but when I became an athletic director, I made sure that our school was a huddle school. And our coaches just loved the tools that huddle provided that let them coach our kids up to their highest level. Go to huddle.com, join the 8 million users and turn your school into a huddle school. We also want to say thanks to Vital Signs Wall of Fame. If you're looking for a really cool way to display your school record boards for every one of the teams for all of their different events, or if you want to show off your school's Hall of Fame, go to vitalsignswalloffame.com. Check out their interactive touchscreen video consoles. It's a great way to also tell your school's incredible, unique story, showcase its history, and talk about your proudest moments. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com. We want to thank Hometown Ticketing, the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. Go to hometownticketing.com. It's digital ticketing that offers more, more support, more security, more customization. That's hometownticketing.com. We also want to say thanks to SnapRaise. Go to snapraise.com. If you've ever spent time with a fundraiser, and then got little, if any, return. You're doing it all wrong. Go to snapraise.com. Hands down, the best online fundraiser out there. We used it at our school with tremendous success. Our coaches loved it. Our parents loved it. It works. Go to snapraise.com and check out all of their great platforms. But like I said, if you're looking for a fundraiser, snapraise.com. We want to thank Home Campus for their support. Home Campus is the exclusive high school and state association management platform for us. And it's something you're going to use every single day. I know I did. How about scheduling? Student athlete eligibility and clearance. Who doesn't do that every day? Communicating with kids, coaches, parents, your state association, uh, uploading rosters, digital forms. If you're an athletic director, home campus is going to help you do your job better and make it even more enjoyable. That's homecampus.com, homecampus.com. We want to thank Sideline Interactive, indoor score tables and video boards. Go to sidelineinteractive.com and schedule a live web demo to see their scoreboards and their score tables in action. Their products not only generate income for your athletic department, they also create the ultimate game day experience for your student-athletes. That's sidelineinteractive.com. Don't forget to mention the podcast. 
And finally, we want to thank Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack for sponsoring the AD Toolbox segment. If you've never used a survey to take the pulse of your parents or your student-athletes, you're really missing out. Athletic directors already get feedback. Usually it's from the complainers that want to gripe about everything. Athletic surveys will connect you to that group, but they'll also connect you to the 98% of your stakeholders that support your program. And that's a tremendously valuable tool to have when you're talking to a frustrated parent or even your principal or school board. Go to athleticsurveys.com. They're going to create a survey that lets you take the pulse and turn your athletic program from good to great. Athleticsurveys.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Uh, we're going national today. Uh, I met our guest, met, if that's the right word, virtually, uh, when she was on Jen Brooks's Global Community of Women uh, podcast. Great, great episode. Um, our guest has a tremendous background in athletics um, at, a, let's say, a national leadership level. Uh, she worked for the Pac-12 conference for many, many years. We're going to talk about that as a, somebody who grew up with the Pac-12. She worked with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, she's a marketing and brand expert. She's currently the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation. And we're also going to be talking a lot about that and how you as a listener can help and get involved. So our guest, uh, Danette Layton, the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation. Welcome to the Educational AD Podcast. Thanks, Jake. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I was just so impressed when uh, you were on Jen Brooks's uh, podcast and reached out to you almost immediately. You were so gracious to accept, and we've had this one on the schedule for a while, but uh, let's go and jump right in. Uh, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests a little bit. So give us that quick bio, uh, where you were born, where'd you grow up? Maybe take us up through your own uh, college days and then we'll take a break. But what's the Danette Layton origin story? Sure, so I am a California native. I grew up in Southern California um, in a town called Simi Valley. Um, so in the Ventura County area. And my father was a high school football and baseball coach. So sports became a part of my life very early on. And then he went on to become a counselor in that area as well. So I grew up on a baseball diamond in a football field, a courtesy of my dad. And then um, after um, high school, I went to the University of Arizona um, for my undergraduate um, degree that I got in political science. And that's really where I got my start in sports. I feel very fortunate for the time I had at U of A. Um, started working in the ticket sales office as my first job then moved on into media relations. And then by my senior year, um, I thought I wanted to be a broadcaster, a sports broadcaster. I was in the very early days where there wasn't a lot of women. So the local ABC affiliate allowed me to spend some time there. And then, um, yeah, then I spent some time after that, as you know, um, through my journey, which we'll talk about later. But California is my home. It's still my home. And I've been a Bay Area um, long time between Sacramento and now the Bay Area for most of my adult life. Now, uh, I always like to, you know, ask this question, um, looking back at your own, uh, let's say, high school and, and college years, um, can you think of a moment that at the time it didn't really seem like much, but now looking back with perspective and experience, you can say, hey, that was a significant moment. Anything uh, 
like that oh yeah i say it all the time now in my role and i know what has brought me together so i played softball my whole life until ninth grade um so probably has a lot to do with the fact that my dad was a baseball coach so he put a softball in my hand at a very young age and i loved it but i quit playing softball in ninth grade which is what i like to say as a women's sports foundation ceo i'm a ninth grade dropout it is a very common pattern of girls quitting sports at middle school age, like 14. Um, I couldn't tell you what my ninth grade brain told me on why I quit, but it was one of the worst decisions I made in my kind of youth, but also on the best decisions because it made me recognize how much I love sports and how much I loved playing sports and how I definitely recognized at the time there wasn't as many opportunities for girls and for women. And something told my ninth grade brain that it wasn't a good idea to play sports. So I get to change all that and try to make sure there's no more ninth grade middle school stats like myself. But it was a um, looking back now, that was a moment in my life that once I went to college, I started playing in real sports again. Um, coincidentally, I found flag football. And if that would have been a sport, which I'm proud to say our state of California now has as an accredited sport, I think this is going to be a game changer for girls and women to play flag. Um, I would have played that sport. That would have been the sport for me. Um, but I know that was a pivotal, pivotal moment that kind of taught me the values of what I learned playing sport, even at an age where I quit in ninth grade. Now, I'm so glad you mentioned flag football. Um, it's one of my regrets as an athletic director. And it's we've had flag football in Florida for several years now, but uh, we just didn't have the numbers to get it going at our school. Uh, I look back at our own daughter, who's in our 30s now, our oldest daughter, she would have been phenomenal, you know, as a football coach's daughter in that sport. Uh, but a lot of states are adopting it now and promoting it. The NFL is getting involved. So that, that that's got to be great for you to see the, its growth uh, across the country. Yeah, it's huge. You know, I just actually one of our board members is the owner of the Tampa Bay Bucks, Darcy Glazer. And Florida's done a great job with accrediting it and being one of the first states. And now what I think is really going to be just unstoppable for flag is the fact that the NFL is behind it, that so many teams want to see it be accredited in their states, that you have it in LA 2028. It will be a, even though it's, you know, 12 girls on a roster, we still think that is a huge opportunity for women to participate at the high school level. It's always great to have a new sport for them to participate in, but now you see it and how it can grow all the way to the elite level as well. And, you know, playing it, I mean, I only played in a real, sports and intramural flag football, but I met my husband post-college playing flag football. So flag has been a big part of my personal life. And it was the most fun sport I ever played. I loved it. I loved everything about it. And I can't imagine girls today are not feeling the same way. I think it's going to be a massive sport for girls. Right. And, and again, from an athletic director standpoint, if you're listening, you don't have it. Um, the startup costs are virtually zero. I mean, yes, uniforms and flags, but that's about it. You already have a facility, you've got footballs and I, I, we in Florida, it's been around for a while. You know, I think some of the early coaches were the actual varsity football coaches, the head coaches or the assistants, but now players have gone through for a number of years and we're seeing girls coming back and taking on those roles as assistant and in some cases head coaches, which is great to see. Yeah. My hope is that you start to see flag growing across the country quickly. I could not agree with you more. As an athletic director, my hope is that everybody 
takes up, you know, plays and takes the sport up because it is a relatively simple one to do. You should have all the really basic necessary things that you need to play it. And in addition to that, it's a launching point for an area that we still see a lot of, you know, real small numbers in, which is women coaches. And it's another pipeline opportunity for female coaches to be in flag. And I know, you know, great NFL teams and another conversation I just coincidentally had with Darcy and the Tampa Bay Bucks is trying to find more women in the pipeline. And I think flag will help that happen because more women and girls will be exposed to it at a much earlier age. And when you play it, you can coach it. And even sometimes if you never play it, you can still coach it. People just don't realize that. Well, we, we've had, uh, I'll say a couple, but it's more than a couple of guests on the podcast before women who are, who have played tackle and flag and coaching it. So if you'd like, I can give you those names after the podcast. For our listeners, uh, our guest today is Danette Layton. She is the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation. Uh, we're not done yet, but we're going to take our first break. So please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to say thanks to our good friends at Gipper for their support of the podcast. Go to gipper.com. Start creating world-class marketing content to celebrate your athletes and promote your teams. Gipper's used and trusted by over 3,000 high school and college athletic programs across the country. It's professional graphic design made simple. How simple is it? Well, it's so simple, even I can use it. Go to gipper.com to get started. We also want to say thanks to our good friends at Huddle. Go to huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As a football coach, I used Huddle for years, but when I became an athletic director, I made sure our school was a huddle school, and our coaches just loved the tools that huddle provided that helped them coach our kids up to their highest level. Go to huddle.com, join the 8 million users, and turn your school into a huddle school. Maybe. Hey, we are back. Uh, we're visiting today with Danette Layton, the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation. As you heard me say before, she has a tremendous background in sports. Danette, if you could kind of take our listeners on a little bit of your journey uh, with some pretty impressive sports uh, programs, uh, how did that all play out for you? Sure. Well, I, I mentioned earlier, I give all the credit to U of A for giving me my start because they hired undergrads as a student and obviously worked in primarily the different external units that I learned about, obviously, when I figured out that there was a business of sport. Um, and so that journey led to a few stints at the Pac-10, Pac-12, which I know we'll talk about later. Um, but also, I would say one of the biggest jobs that I think was the catalyst in my career directionally was when I had the opportunity at a very young age to be the executive director of the Women's Final Four that Stanford hosted um, in San Jose in 1999. That job, I will say I give a lot of credit to, at the time, the um, senior uh, athletics director there, um, or the SWA, her name was Cheryl Levick. She gave me that opportunity when I didn't check every box. I was very young in my career. I was still in my 20s. Um, and she knew that I could do the job, but she was the one that gave me that opportunity. So that position really opened my eyes to kind of how everything works from sponsorship to media rights to fundraising to generate, you know, any form of generating revenue to brand and marketing on large scale events. Um, and I think that's really kind of what transitioned me into taking the next roles and kind of the direction that I took. So I always say it took, you know, that Stanford 
deputy athletics director, um, Cheryl Levick, who gave me that shot. And that was the shot that really catapulted me. And after that, I had a great experience where I really wanted to see the corporate side of the business, particularly why corporate brands wanted to get involved with sports properties. So I had a chance to work for Sony. Sony had a sports marketing division that was based in San Francisco. And they essentially worked with all the different Sony divisions that were both um, Tokyo-based, electronics, PlayStation, music, entertainment. And they prioritized Major League Baseball and PJ Tour Golf. And I had the pleasure of working on their PJ Tour property, which a lot of people now tease me because it was the Sony Open in Hawaii, which um, still exists today on the PJ Tour. And so I did have a lovely gig for a few years where I was working in Hawaii and going back and forth from Northern California to Hawaii. But it was a great experience because it really showed me what was important to a brand from a sponsorship perspective, how that tied in with obviously putting on another big event within the PGA Tour. Um, and then from there, I had the opportunity to move to Sacramento, where I took on the role of running their then WNBA franchise, one of the original franchises that um, became a part of the WNBA, which was the Sacramento Monarchs, which unfortunately is, is no longer in existence, as well as becoming the vice president of brand for the Sacramento Kings, where I spent about a decade. So I spent 10 years in Sacramento, and then I left Sacramento when I took on the role as CMO of the Pac-12, which I spent about 12 years there. And then I left there uh, two years ago to become the CEO here. Uh, so many areas I want to dive into, but um, let's talk about your work with um the Sacramento Monarchs and the Kings. Um, most of our listeners are high school and some college athletic directors and, and marketing and branding is something that a lot of them, it's just not part of the general training. They got to pick that up piecemeal. What are some lessons that you learned in marketing and even, you know, to your Sony open days um, that you think would have meaning and effectiveness for a high school AD trying to market and brand their program. Yeah. So I think one of the most, again, this was the area that I was in. So I'm not going to say it was the most important, but it's the area that I started to recognize as I advanced in my career was also the skill sets that were getting hired as the next CEO or CMO, or, you know, from a, a sports property standpoint or division one athletics directors, you just started to see a pattern and that pattern that I think most high school ADs and college ADs knows is in the external affairs area. It's called external, but in the corporate side, it's called marketing and brand. So they're all, all the same, but at the end of the day, it's a combination of a, full th a few things. One, you know how to generate revenue. It's really easy. It always comes down to, can you generate revenue? Do you know how to do that through fundraising mechanisms? Do you know how to build sponsorship packages? Do you know the assets in which could be appealing to a brand or a partner? it doesn't matter what level you're selling it at. High schools have it, colleges have it, the highest level pro sports have it. It's the same model, it's just knowing your product. So I would say that's something that's really important. And, and the very first example that I learned how to do this, and most people take this for granted, is if you know how to sell a ticket, you know how to sell. And the product for athletics and the product for sports, no matter what level, is putting a butt in a seat. And if you know how to put a fan in the stands, it's also then how do you keep that fan in the stands, which is also really how, where some of the marketing and the brand and the creative comes into play. So you need to create a really strong fan experience and a community in which fans want to be a part of. They feel committed to whatever that property is, whether it's a high school team or a collegiate team or a professional team. And it's understanding your consumers. 
and creating an environment that allows them to feel that nostalgia or feel that connection to that given team or property. And so a lot of the marketing and the brand side is taking those partners and those sponsors combined with all of the elements of creating a really great experience and establishing what you know is your authentic identity. And I think most people don't realize that brands are really just not what you want them to be, but it's what how people perceive them to be. Right. And it's making sure you lean in heavily in what is your differentiator. And I can speak to being a, you know, celebrating my daughter's high school where she went to in Northern California and attending their sporting events to my alma mater, to my favorite sports teams. We all have our different connections and you all find that community, but it's the same pattern no matter what level you're at. And it's knowing how to combine those all together, but it's not rocket science. I think that's the one thing that I always tease. It's really hand-to-hand combat, knowing your consumers well, understanding your product well, and always adapting and always finding ways and not being afraid of making mistakes and trying things and testing things to innovate, to see what works with your fan base. Um, but you have to be proactive. I would say that's the biggest thing in marketing. You can't sit back and think it's going to come come to you. It never does. You have to constantly hustle and you have to be the one out there proactively doing it. Yeah, that, that last point, I mean, it was all great, but that last point, uh, it, it's not like a hundred years ago when I was in high school, um, there weren't as many um, things competing for students, parents, community members' attention. Now there's so much more and so you have to, as an AD, go out and you talked about hand-to-hand combat. I love that. You know, shaking hands and meeting people, uh, just great, great stuff. Thanks so much for sharing that. All right. You and I talked before we started recording. You are a Pac-12 family. I grew up, um, you know, cheering for my Oregon Ducks back in when I was a little kid in the 60s and then in high school and college in the 70s. Um. I, I'm just gonna, my wife is in the background. She's an Oregon State grad. Uh, she's in their athletic hall of fame. She's given a go Beavers. Um, I'm going to ask you point blank. Where did it go wrong for the Pac-12? How could they have not um, led to the demise of the Conference of Champions? I'm asking you because this was not on your watch, Okay. But you were there, you know, um, or you would know, I, I think, an answer to this question. What could they have done differently? Gosh. You know, I, it's a really hard question. Obviously, I, I wasn't there when everything unfolded. But I think, I think unfortunately, the Pac-12 is an example of the concerns that I personally have of what's happening in the college sports ecosystem overall. I think they're just an example of what a lot of things that have been changing and transitioning that we need to pay attention to as fans, as parents of athletes, as what is meant, what is important in collegiate athletics. Um, so I think I'll take it there versus I think they're just an example of what we need to pay attention to. Um, it's there's a lot of positivity, obviously, around everything that sports brings, and we feel that very strongly at the Women's Sports Foundation. But when you have something that's a never ending arms race, that's essentially what college athletics is. Um, it also creates a lot of challenges as far as tough decisions that have to be made. And speaking from my own personal experience of, of running a WBA franchise in Sacramento that I got my lights turned off on me because you have to, depending on where you are, your ownership or where you are from a business model standpoint, decisions are made and 
tough decisions are made. And I lived having to shut down a team. And that was really based on kind of where we were financially and where our ownership thought we should be. Um, and unintended, you know, circumstances that were out of your control based on obviously just the model of professional sports. But collegiate sports is in a really unique space. It's been a longstanding kind of model that has very different types. Division one for all of us who understand it and live in it. Division one FBS is very different than other division one and very different to division two and very division different to division three and NIA and all of them are important. At the end of the day, I care about women and men having the opportunity to play sports at the collegiate level because I know it makes their life so much better and all of the things that are non-athletics that it contributes to their, you know, to, to their own kind of benefit, no matter how long they play or at the most elite level. But the reality is the meteorites, the economic model, unfortunately, has been based on one sport for a very long time. And I love college football. But I really think that there needs to be an understanding of investment at all levels is important. And each of those programs being able to stand on their own two feet is important. And one of my frustrations as somebody who's been a big advocate for women's sports is there hasn't been enough of that investment for them to stand on their own two feet. Title IX has been this great legislation that has allowed women to play for 50 years. But on the collegiate level, I feel like it's been very much the ability to get from point A to point B, meaning that you're going to go play this team and hop on that plane and be able to do all those things. But yet in any private sector or startup business, you invest on the business side, you invest in ticket sales, marketing, promotion, gaining a fan base, creating social media buzz. And I think unfortunately at the collegiate level, it's gotten so out of whack that you don't see that necessarily being able to happen because ADs are having to make really hard choices just based on the reality of where kind of all the money is spreading out, right? And I think the Pac-12, unfortunately, is an example of that. And you saw in the end, each of the institutions, fortunately, are all going to thrive on their own, but not thrive within the conference that is really hard for me to watch. And seeing those, you know, my institution go to the Big 12, my family's alma mater go to the Big 10, and seeing two great institutions that I absolutely love and admire that Washington State and Oregon State not have a home right now is also something that I think is 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 a real bummer. I, I think I might be a little old school and a little traditional, but I do like that kind of regional type of conference and not having a major power five on the West Coast is something that is personal to me because I'm an alum, I'm a family, it's a part of me, I work there. I think the Pac-12 raised the bar in so many areas. And I'm really proud of the work that I did while I was there. Incredibly proud of those 12 institutions and how much they cared about broad-based sports programming. They were some of the only schools that carried 30 sports, 24 sports, 26 sports, both men's and women's Olympic sports. The most prominent Olympians came out of those institutions and will still come out of those institutions. And, you know, obviously it ends with the year of, of course, the football team and, and, and the and the Huskies going to the CFP, right? Like, of, right. of course. And I'm expecting that's probably going to happen at the men's final four and women's final four, too. It'll be, end up being this, everybody goes to the to the end. But it's, um as a fan, it's, it's hard to swallow as understanding the business model of sports. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised. I think it could have been anybody. And unfortunately, it was the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, I I think you're spot on. Um, you know the 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 greed and and the finances, and I'm not trying to you know paint myself as uh you know um, immune to the 
tug of the dollar, but uh, it, it is just so unfortunate uh, you know, to see its demise. Who knows? Maybe it could be like uh, a phoenix rising from Arizona uh, and uh, come back in a couple of years here. We'll see what happens. Um, for our listeners, uh, once again, our guest today is Danette Layton. She's the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation. We're going to hear some about that when we come back from our next break. So uh, please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to say thanks to Hometown Ticketing for their support. Hometown Ticketing is the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. It's digital ticketing that offers more, more support, more security, and more customization. Go to hometownticketing.com. Their team is going to help you make the best online ticketing solution for your school. Hometownticketing.com. We also want to thank Snap raise for their support have you ever spent weeks and weeks with a fundraiser and then ended up with little if any return stop right here go to snapraise.com hands down the best online fundraiser out there we used it at our school tremendous success our coaches loved it our parents loved it it works go to snapraise.com check out their other great platforms but if you're looking for a fundraiser you can stop looking. Go to snapraise.com. You'll be glad that you did. We also want to say thanks to Vital Signs Wall of Fame. Go to their website, vitalsignswalloffame.com. Check out their interactive touchscreen. That's right, touchscreen video consoles. It's a great way to show off your school record boards for all the teams, for all the sports, plus your school's Hall of Fame. Go to vitalsignswalloffame.com. Mention the podcast, you'll get a nice discount. vitalsignswalloffame.com. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Danette, uh, we've been teasing our listeners. Uh, we mentioned you're the CEO for the Women's Sports Foundation. Now, um, it, it's been around. You're celebrating your 50th year. You know, for those of you watching it on YouTube, you can see that. But uh, um, share with our listeners a little bit. It, what is it? How did it get started? You know, what's the purpose? And then we'll get into it. How can they get involved and help out? Well, thanks. Thanks for asking. Well, um, I feel very blessed that I get to be the CEO of this organization. Um, our history is that Billie Jean King founded us 50 years ago. Um, she was very busy the last couple of years, 50 years ago. She was obviously still playing professionally, creating essentially the WTA and professional tennis for women, getting equal pay at the U.S. Open. Um, and then she recognized that two years after the passing of Title IX, it was there was going to need to be an organization that was here to be an advocacy as well as a research organization that continuously proves the value of why it matters for girls and women to play sports and how that makes a huge impact on society and culture and be the um, arm that protects that legislation that has allowed us to do it for 50 years. So we were um, primarily and still are a research and advocacy organization, which then does significant community impact work, all based on our research and our data that we've been able to serve to girls and women serving organizations and high schools and colleges alike of the importance of making sure girls and women have access to play, making sure there's programs for girls and women to play, making sure those are compliant with Title IX, obviously, but most importantly, really proving time and time again through data and research that when girls play, um, society wins. 
Absolutely. And you know, I've shared the story before, and I already mentioned my wife once, so she's getting another shout out. Uh, she was a Title IX pioneer back in the 70s in Oregon. She uh, ran on the boys cross country team because the coach didn't want to have a girls team. When she started beating the boys, uh, then he said, OK, I guess you can have a, a team. Uh, and again, that's her story. But as a, a coach, she was very often the only woman in the room. Uh, you know, we have two daughters and a son. And so you know, obviously I, I care about women's sports, but I think we should be happy with the changes, but we're not sad. Shouldn't be satisfied with where we're at. What are some areas that you think we still need to make progress? And that's, you know, women leaders, uh, male allies, high school, college, what are some things that we need to do to, um, uh, keep going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think it's like, I, I always think it's important when I think about your wife as an example or Billy, like I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for those pioneers that fought to get it started, who essentially, you know, did had such a harder pathway than I had, but it's, it's still fascinating to recognize how far we still have to go and the potential risks that we have of it going backwards. But I think first and foremost, you know, a staff at all always resonates with me that we put out in our 50 years of research after um, the after the 50th anniversary of Tile 9, which was two years ago, um, was the fact that we have a million less participation numbers at the high school level for girls to boys. So basically sitting here or basically in 2022, the girls participation numbers are exactly where the boys participation numbers were in 1972. So that right there is an example, probably why I'm thrilled about sports like flag football. But I think as things get harder and harder at the youth level, and I understand the club level is also impacting a lot of high schools as far as how and what sports they offer. It's really, really important that the high schools have the ability to offer so much sports offerings for girls and boys and really making sure that they look at that through the lens of what it means for girls, because it, 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 very few people, as we know, get the luxury of playing at the highest elite level. And a lot of people are, you know, those of us who are in sports, those of us who have worked at Division One athletics, you know, athletics departments or work with WNBA and NBA franchises. We know what it takes to be at that level. And like, there is no way I was ever playing at that level. And to play at that level is such a small percentage that it's the whole pathway that those young people have even if their pathway ends at the end of their senior year in high school or their pathway ends their senior year in college, it's just what sports allows them to do. And for girls and women, it's really about when you play, you lead. And it doesn't matter what type of leadership role that is, whether you're a C-suite leader, whether you're a leader in your community, the, the building blocks for collaboration, being a disciplined, you know, being a disciplined individual in work and in life, the resilience factor, I always like to say, even at the ninth grade dropout rate, what sports taught me was it taught me how to lose. And when girls and boys know how to lose, it is the best gift you can ever give when you're thinking about fundraising and being told no 6,000 times. What do you do? You get right back up again and you go out there and you hustle. So that's why so many people and so many different verticals in business want to hire former athletes, male and female. I get so many phone calls from businesses who want to hire former female student athletes because of all the things that they represent. And I think that's really important from, from my perspective um, and as it relates to what I think is important at the youth level. And for us, we really wanna make sure that girls have access at every part of their journey 
And with Title IX, it's been great legislation, but it needs to be protected always. We're always fighting for things that people want to take away certain different rights. So we're wanting to make sure that it stays strong. We also know that compliance with Title IX is not great. And we also know it's hard for campuses. And But we, we can't stress enough how important it is to be compliant with Title IX and to recognize that that is what is fair for girls and boys to both have. And when you do this, it really makes an impact in society. And we're finally starting to see that 50 years later, like people are thinking this is an entire coincidence of where we are with this momentum in sports. Like it all ties back to 50 years of playing sports. And now you have like, I'm the first generation that has lived with sports my whole life. The fact that I could have played sports my whole life. I'm the first generation. Gen X is that first generation. But I look at this momentum that we're seeing right now in the basketball season in particular, like the Sabrina Steph three-point shot, right. it's also not a coincidence. That is a, a very different outcome from when Billy had to do the battle of the sexes and how it was all about, like, she knew she had to win. She knew that it was bigger than sport. But Sabrina and Steph was all about mutual respect as elite athletes because they both know what it takes to be an elite athlete. And as Sabrina said, well, if you can shoot, you can shoot. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. So we are in such a different place now, but it is so important for us to not go backwards and to realize it's on all of us, male allies, parents, aunts, uncles, sisters. Um, you want your daughter playing sports because it's going to transform her life and it doesn't matter what level she plays at. Right. No, uh, again, the Billie Jean King, I remember watching that on TV and uh, I, my dad of all people, you know, my dad said, she must be under a lot of pressure, you know, representing the entire world uh, of, of women there. And it's you don't think about that. But uh, um, the website, womenssportsfoundation.org. Um, yes, you need to go to the website. Yes, you need to get involved. What are some of the the many? We can't do them all. But what are some of the many resources that are there on the website for athletic directors to bring back to their coaches, for coaches to bring back to their student athletes and the community? Uh, what are some things you'd like to highlight? Sure. So I think what's important to know is we literally have 50 years of research, 50 years of research in all forms or fashion. This year in our 50th anniversary, we're going to be launching two very important research projects. One is all around mental health in women's sports, which obviously we know is a critical topic right now in our society. The other one is about leadership and women and women's sports. So another one that obviously ties back nicely to when you play, you lead. So for us, we encourage, we do this for everybody. This is meant to be a tool and a resource. Um, so we encourage you to see the information that can be helpful for you um, about things in your own community. We are obviously a resource when it comes to an advocacy. Um, we spent a lot of time working with different high schools and colleges and different areas where there, there may be some needs for a little bit of a push or a voice on, on how to be more compliant. At the same time, we really just encourage people to get involved in their own communities. And I think one of the things that a lot of people can do, and I know this community cares about, is we need more female coaches. We need more female coaches. We need more female administrators. We need more female leaders. We need more females all the way up the food chain in sports. Um, much like we do across um, across the landscape, which is why I push really hard in wanting to be the best role model that I can be for women that come behind me um, and men so that they can that, that everybody can feel good about doesn't matter who your superior is, but we need more women in these positions. And 
One of the sad parts of Title IX, unfortunately, is we have actually gone backwards in female coaches. And that's really been at all levels, youth, high school, college. And so that's something that I think really has an opportunity for more people to get involved in their community. And obviously, we're not where we need to be in from the athletics director's perspective for women. I mean, I look at FBS Division One, and I think we still only have six. And that's not good enough. So from our perspective, we appreciate, obviously we're not for profit. We are always looking for donations and finding anybody. It doesn't matter how big or small, but in addition to that, we ask you to follow us and amplify our work, talk about our work, get people to know who we are and why we exist. And that's sometimes as simple as being on people's social media platforms. And as great as a platform as this is, I need people to know more about the work of the Women's Sports Foundation, because I know my objective for this organization is to build a sustainable a sustainable model that can live well past the next 50 to 100 years, well past me, well past all of us, because it's going to be needed for the next generations to come. Our work isn't done yet. We've got a lot to do. Oh, absolutely. No question. And we're happy to help in, in any way possible. Uh, Danette, this has just been so great. I wish we had more time. There's so many different areas. Maybe we can get you back on uh, for a, a follow-up episode or maybe even on our Wednesday Wisdom as a regular. But we're still not done yet. Uh, we always wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you're not an athletic director, but you certainly know your way around the world of athletics. So we're going to take our final break here from Athletic Surveys, who sponsored this particular segment. When we come back, I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job. But I'm only going to let you put three items in their toolbox. So let's take that break. And when we return, we're going to see what Danette Layton is going to put in her new AD toolbox. Please stay with us. We want to say thanks to Athletic Surveys for sponsoring the toolbox segment of our podcast. If you've never used a survey to take the pulse of your parents or your student athletes, you're really missing out. Athletic directors already hear feedback. Uh, typically it's from somebody who wants to complain or gripe about something. Athletic surveys will connect you to that group, but they're also going to connect you to the 98% that supports your program. And that information is a tremendously valuable tool to have when you're talking with a frustrated parent or maybe your principal or even your school board. Go to athleticsurveys.com. They're going to create a custom survey that's going to help you take your athletic program from good to great. Athleticsurveys.com. Well, it's that time of the podcast. We have um, just been uh, visiting with Danette Layton, the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation, probably one of the most impressive sports leadership resumes I have ever come across. Uh, we're definitely, uh, I'm going to beg her to come back on the podcast for a, another interview, but uh Right now, I'm going to challenge her to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let her put three things in the toolbox. So, Danette, what three items are going to go into your new athletic director toolbox? Great. So, mine are probably going to be around leadership, and I would apply this if I'm an athletics director or, or walking into a new role. First, it's going to be listen, 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 listen first. As the absolutely the most critical thing any leader, any athletic director can do when they start any new job, you need to understand what's happening. You need to understand, you need to do a SWAT, you need to get where you are, you need to listen to everybody that's engaged. 
That's my first, my first tool in your toolbox. The second tool in your toolbox is after you've listened, listened, spend time understanding and really getting to know what your differentiator is. And this is really about how you build your brand or understand your brand. And a lot of times your brand is what people perceive your brand to be, maybe not what you wish your brand was. So you need to understand what makes you really unique and differentiates you and what are the positive strengths that come out of you. And this is as an institution, as a school, as a community, as an athletics department, it will really help you establish a North Star for yourself and for your organization and where you can take that, where you can take your organization. So learn your differentiator. It'll help you in building your brand and, and, and understanding what, what role you should play in that North Star, essentially. And then the third one I would say is, which I don't think any athletics writer doesn't know, is you need to hustle and you need to be resilient. Being, being able to hustle and be resilient is the key, I think, in this role and any role, because you have to be the greatest fundraiser. You have to be the person that is rallying the troops. You have to be the person that is bringing everybody together with a strategic vision. You have to be the person that is dealing with all the hard stuff, whether that's from a staff perspective or parents or, or students. I think it's really important to know that you're going to have to always be out there proactively hustling and you're going to have to always be resilient and be the one that has to deal with the tough stuff. And then finally, I would say this is just something is give yourself grace and know how important you are. Because I think a lot of people don't realize how important athletic director roles are to the kids. And I think at the end of the day, that's what I think is really important for ADs to be reminded of why they got into it and the impact they make on young kids' lives. Well, you probably saw me uh, scribbling all those down. Uh, I love uh, your word differentiate. Uh, you know, so cool. And the listening one, I, I still uh, talk to ADs and coaches uh, now, and I'll tell them it's one of the most important tools, as you said, and it's one of the tools that I failed to use until too late or way too late in my career. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, listening needs to be in the toolbox and all of them are great tools. Uh, Danette, we should have done this earlier. So shame on me, but if one of our listeners wanted to reach out and connect with you, I know the website women's sports foundation.org, but what are some other ways they could connect with you? Maybe even pick your brain or just find out more about the organization and how to get involved. Yeah, well, I think obviously we encourage you to go to your website. We have a way in which you can reach out and contact us on the website from an info perspective. Um, it's also really easy to reach us all by email and we're we're happy to have conversations. And I'm sure if folks reach out to you, Jake, you can share that with them. Um, I am the biggest, I will never not spend time with somebody. It's something that I think, I thank all the people that came before me that did that to me. And I will always do that the same for anybody else because it takes a village and I want to encourage others to be in this profession. I know it's not an easy profession. I'm very well aware of how hard it is to be an AD at any level. I have mad respect for that role. And I just want to encourage everybody to understand that you are making a massive difference and you are really important. And at the end of the day, you are helping kids turn into these amazing adults and human beings. And it matters. It just does. And if you want to have impactful work as hard as it is some days, I know I have that on my mind a lot. Like if this is hard, um, it's, um, you just, I'm reminded by that every day that I get to do something I'm pretty passionate about. Well, uh, great, great, uh, you know, closeout statement, uh, great words of encouragement. 
thanks again for spending some time with us and, you know, please, you know, let us know if there's any way we can help the women's sports foundation continue to do all the great things they do. Thanks Jake. For our listeners, we want to say thanks to you and just remind you that we upload the zoom recordings to the educational lady podcast, YouTube channel. Uh, we do this just about every day. So come back for more great content next time on the educational 80 podcast. We'll see you.